Tonight, I want us to recap a little bit. And so we're going to go right back to Genesis 1.1. If you're new to Christianity, you're new to following Jesus, uh, this is a great memory verse uh, for you. Genesis 1.1 is the very first book of the Bible, and it's the very first verse. And you've heard this recapped over the past few weeks in our Creativity Unlocked. But Genesis 1.1 says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created. It's the fifth word that we find in our Bible, God created. He created, and the very fifth word. And to kind of give you some context for this, the, the, the original word, the Hebrew word is bara. Bara. If you've ever been on Study Light or Blue Letter Bible, you'll hear a guy when you push play under the name of the word, and he'll come up with bara. And bara means to shape or to fashion or to create. It talks about of heaven and earth, also of man, and of new conditions or circumstances or of transformations. When you're transforming something, this word bara comes out. It wasn't just Patrick Swayze in the movie Ghost creating something and trying to form something out of clay. Uh, that reference will be lost on most of you tonight, but anyone in my age group will find that hilarious. Uh, but bara, God shaped the earth, the heavens and the earth. And then we go to Genesis 1, 27. So we jump a few verses along. And it says, so God created, again, human beings in his own image. Isn't that awesome to think that we are created in the image of God? Is that amazing, friends, that we are created in the image of God? That's incredible. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. It says it three times in one verse. He created, he created, he created. And then in Ephesians 2.10, to give you a New Testament uh, scripture uh, for this as well, it says, for we are God's masterpiece. Think about everything that God has ever made and ever created. And he says, we are his masterpiece. We are the most amazing thing that he's ever made. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We are his masterpiece and he created us brand new to do something amazing in our world, to unlock something in somebody else's life. That's why he created us. So let me give you some context for this verse because I want to kind of break down some of the terms that he uses. Uh, in Genesis 1 chapter 2, so the very second verse, he says, The earth, though, was formless and empty, and a darkness covered the deep waters. This was kind of a key change moment. It was dark and formless and empty. Dun, dun, e minor. Dun, dun, dun. And it says formless. So, so God's saying this. It says, uh, in the beginning, He created the earth. The earth was formless. So there was confusion. There was an emptiness. This is the original word. It's even called a place of chaos. It was, a, it was a place of waste. It was an undistinguishable ruin. And the darkness is defined as obscurity. So things were obscure, so you couldn't find meaning in it. And figuratively speaking, it talked about a place of misery and a place of destruction and a place of death and a place of ignorance. It even talks about things that were being concealed. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless or it was, it was uh, obscure, it was a wasteland. There was nothing left. It was this word void. Put all that together, and God says to this in this context. He then says, let there be light. Let there be light. Isn't that so cool that God was illuminating a dark, obscure, kind of concealed place? That's amazing. And there was light. And I love this. The Bible's real clear. And the light was good. You've got to shout that from the rooftops. The light was good. He made the world a better place. 
It wasn't darkness anymore. It was now filled with the light of God's glory. That's amazing. So tonight, I want to kind of know, what is it for us to make the world a better place? This series is talking about unlocking our creativity. Maybe there's a, there's a void in your own life. Maybe there's a void in somebody else's life. And God's called you to fill that void. Why? Because we're his masterpiece. We're created in the image of Jesus. So maybe he's called us to, be, to, to bring about the creativity by actually fulfilling the void in our own lives or filling the void in somebody else's life to try to bring things to life for people. He's called us to birth something. He's called us to birth a whole new thing. We all have this sphere of influence that we work in, and he's called us to make the world a better place. We've got to fill the void tonight, and I want you to kind of remember that you're called to fill the void. You are now God's army on display, and you're called to fill this void. So tonight, there's some challenges with that. Because already I can kind of almost hear you say things like, that's cool, we know that. But I've got some challenges. Maybe I've got some issues. Let's talk about some of these things. Before we do that, though, let me remind you, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this. He said, eternity in our human heart. I like to think that before I came to know Jesus, there was actually a void in my own life. There was something that I was searching for. I can still remember as a 17-year-old going to... Uh, Papatoy Baptist Church in South Auckland and walking into church for the first time and looking around, seeing strange things like people lifting hands and things like that. And then going to a, we used to go to a supper back in those days. And uh, we used to go to suppers back in those days and we would hang out with people and kind of play silly games and then go to bed sort of at 10, 11, 12 at night and think it was a great day. But I remember thinking there were people that I wanted to hang out with. I remember thinking there was something special about this place and, and I wanted that. So this void that I was looking for, this, this fulfillment in relationships with godly people was the thing that I was searching for. It's now filled with eternity. Augustine says this, You've been made, you have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you, God. Our hearts are restless. Our hearts are wandering. There's a gap. There's a chasm until we find rest in Him. C.S. Lewis says it like this, If I find myself a desire, which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If I'm trying to fulfill this void here on earth with natural things, ask anybody who's got a lot of stuff and ask them if they're happy without God, if they're fulfilled. How much is too much money? Just another dollar. And then you look over the fence and you realize actually he or she has got slightly more than me. I don't want that now. And so this void is kind of never satisfied. This insatiable thirst or desire for more is never fulfilled in the natural. So it becomes hard for us because God's calling us to, he, he says, I can fulfill that gap in your life. But he also calls us to fulfill that void, to fill that void for other people. So let me explain kind of why I think this is tricky. Maybe you've heard of the phrase linear thinking, linear thinking. So linear thinking is like, it's like there's an A and then a B naturally follows an A, of course. It's an analytical, methodical, rational thinking style. If there's an A, there's a B, it suggests that there's a process that begins with a starting point and there's a series of other points and naturally the conclusion is going to be this point. It follows a series of steps and hits an end point. It might be like this. If it, if it worked that way last time, then naturally it's going to, going to be the same conclusion as to what it was before. There's a straight line between A and B. Now in many ways, this kind of, this kind of thinking is pretty helpful. 
If I, if I as a kid touch a hot plate, I know that there's cause and effect. I know that as I do that, A, and I touch the hot plate, it ends in B, which is pain, and I know not to do that anymore. So in many ways, linear thinking can really help us. If you've got kids, you'll, you'll probably bring them up fairly linearly, or whatever the word is for that. But, but naturally, I, don't, I don't naturally kind of think like this. I'm not a very rational thinker. Uh, I can give you many examples. Uh, if you've ever got shopping bags, and when I do the shopping, I always imagine that I can carry every single bag. So I open up the boot, and I look at the door, and I go, okay, it's about 20 steps into my house. And so I'll pick up shopping bags, and I'll try and carry about four each side, and I'll be straining, but I'll be thinking, man, I'm so strong. And then I get to the front door, and I realize like, I can't open the door. And so then I'll have to put everything down again, fumble about, get my keys, open the door, and once again, try and grapple. And if I just got two bags and my keys, I'd open the door. Now, that's kind of reasonably rational thinking just to do it that way, but I don't think like that. I walk to a shop door at the moment. I forget my mask just about every time. I go to the door. I turn around. I go back to my car. I put my mask on. I go back to the door, and I do it time and time again. I'm frustrated at the fact that I've had some friends around. This is pre-kind of our lockdown, and, and my outside lights were never going. And I remember thinking we're sitting outside in the dark, and then I've got a very logical, rational friend, and he said, well, why don't you just turn the light on? I'm like, there's no, and he goes, I said, there's no switch. And he'll go, oh, the switch, and he, he'd never been to my house. And he goes, the switch will probably be behind that curtain there. I'd lived in the house for about a year. I opened the curtain, and I'm like, yeah, there's a switch there, and all three lights worked. That's how I live my life. It's very frustrating. I'm not very logical. I watch that, my boys, I've got three boys, I watch them play sport, and I'll be on every sideline and every winter, ill-equipped for the conditions. I never dress warm enough, and I always go home and have to have a shower afterwards. And my wife just says to me, why don't you take a jumper? I've never, ever been equipped just about with, a, with an umbrella in case it rains. I see people in bright blue sky with umbrellas, and I go, I don't want to be like that, though, because I think you've wasted your space in an umbrella, but then when it does rain, it rains on me, and somehow, because I've got a thick, woolly jumper, I think it'll absorb the rain. It's real mental thinking. There's a gutter leak on my, on my, uh, on my house, and I, the, the leaks under the ground, and I look at the ground, and I go, man, I really need to clean up that, rather than actually, well, maybe I need to fix the guttering. That's how I think all the time. It's not rational. I don't think from A to B. I don't think cause and effect. But let me give you a little passage in, in, chapter, in John chapter 5. And I love these scriptures because it's just an example about Jesus and the creative ways that he brings amazing solutions to people's lives. In John 5, he says this, 6 to 8. When Jesus saw him, this is about this. So this is the man who's by the pool of Shiloh. And what would happen with the water, where the water would bubble up? The, the going theory was if you were the first into the pool, you'd get healed. And so on the context of this, in verse 6, we read this, Jesus saw him. And he knew that he'd been ill for a long time. So this man had been here 38 years. And he says to him, would you like to get well? Listen to his reply. This is like a yes, no question. Would you like? It's a closed question. And he says, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Somebody else always gets there ahead of me. And Jesus replies, he told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now, I want you to focus on the two words, I can't. He says, do you want to get well? Listen, I don't know if you've been struggling with something for 38 years. Some of you I know haven't been alive 38 years, maybe eight years. And Jesus says, do you want that thing fixed? 
And your reply is, I can't, man. There's a problem. There's a problem with that reply. Because surely the main reply from this man's got to be, yes. Like, are you crazy? Of course I want to be healed. I've been there 38 years. But he's trying to connect A with B. He's saying to Jesus, who he doesn't know at this point is the Son of God, he's saying, no, sorry, I don't know who you are, but you don't understand my situation. You don't understand that, or you, you don't see what happens here. Because when the pool bubbles up, I've got to be the first in there, and I'm never going to get there because my legs don't work. And he's saying to Jesus, no, B follows A, that's linear thinking. He's probably never even seen anybody healed. I don't know. This wasn't a pool, this, wasn't, this was a pagan pool. And probably no one's been healed, but somehow it's been handed down maybe from generation to generation that if you're the first in there when the border bubbles, you're going to be healed. And so they all lived in this hope. It's an example of circular thinking. It's, the circular thinking is this. Listen, it's a conclusion that cannot be proved true or false if it always arrives from a false premise. So if your thinking's wrong to start with, the end result doesn't matter. If he, if he didn't figure out this was Jesus, the Son of God, it doesn't matter what he thinks about the pool. That's cool for us to think about. Because right now you might be in a situation and you're going, oh, but that can't work. See, part of the creativity is going, actually, it's not about necessarily thinking about the most creative solution. It's thinking about the person who gave us the creativity in the first place. Maybe that can work. Maybe if I focus more on Jesus, maybe if the man knew whom he was talking to, he would recognize, actually, this is the Son of God. This is the Messiah. He's the one that can heal. He wasn't focused on the problem of not getting into the pool. He was focused on the fact that he was missing Jesus. And that's really the essence of the story. Imagine living in a world of false dawns. Imagine waking up every day and thinking, actually, there's no hope for me because I'm never going to make it to that place. I'm never going to be like that. I'm never going to do I'm never going to. I can't. I won't. It's not going to happen. I've prayed. It didn't work. Nothing's working. There's confusion, there's concealment, there's darkness, there's chaos, there's a void, and it's never going to get fulfilled. Jesus doesn't say anything special to the man, doesn't even lay hands on him. For all us religious people, what? For all us pastors, we're going, what did he do? Imagine if we come down, hey, there's a whole big altar call, and we just go, okay, stand up and walk, stand up and walk. You're healed. I don't know what, you just, what your problem is, but you've been healed too. No laying on of hands. He doesn't even mention God. He says, just get up, pick up your mat, walk away. He doesn't disrespect the man's lack of faith. He doesn't tell him it's the wrong answer. It's an incredible story. But Jesus was there, led by compassion. He knew there was a massive void in this man's life. He must have been led by empathy, realizing this guy's been here 38 years with no hope and no hope of getting in this pool. He will literally die here if I don't intervene. And he walks past everybody else to this day. I don't know why he does that. But I know he doesn't think from A to B. I know that he works with a whole bunch of different variables that I don't understand all the time. But I do know that he's told the man to get up and walk and there was a miracle that day. He fills the void that was in front of him and he brings light to a very dark situation for this man. So try and follow Jesus' logic here. Look at the rich young ruler. Look at what Jesus does here. Matthew 19, 21, he says, Jesus says to him, this guy asks him, what have I got to do to be perfect? He says, I follow all the commandments. Like he's that guy in your friendship that's always right about everything. Right now, no, don't put the person's name in the chat. But he says, if you're perfect, 
If you want to be perfect, go. Sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. And we read on, it says the man walked away sorrowful because that was the only thing he couldn't do. Ironically, he said, I follow all the commandments. But then Jesus pointed to the fact that if you sell everything, he says, well, actually you don't. You don't put the Lord God your first. You don't even follow the first commandment because actually you're putting money in your possessions before God. You're making those an idol. And he says he went away sorrowful. He's the only guy in the Bible who he tells us to sell everything, give to the poor. One time he does it from what we can read of Jesus' accounts. What about the centurion servant? The Roman centurion comes up to Jesus, Matthew 8.8. 8, and, he's, and, he's, and he's saying to Jesus, Jesus he says, he says I've, got this, I've got this slave who's sick and dying. He goes, can you heal him? And Jesus says, actually says, yeah, let's go to him now. And he says, no, 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 you don't need to go there. He's like, I realize that you're one who's under authority. And I know what it is to be under authority. You just need to speak the word and he'll be healed. Jesus talks about this man's amazing faith. And it says, and instantly the man was healed that very moment. Jesus messes with us so much, he doesn't even go to the man's house. This is done. How cool would that be? How cool would it be as Pastor Sam often talks about these corporate miracles where all of a sudden we're just in an environment like shout and the person right at the back who's got a need and just simply being in the environment that person's need is met. That person's miracle is fulfilled by God. That person's void, the dark place that they came in, all of a sudden was flooded with light. How cool would that be? Verse 13, straight after this, then Jesus, he goes to, he goes to uh, Peter's mother-in-law who was very sick. Then it says, again, he lays hands on her. He touches her and she's healed. So again, an, another different response to Jesus' miracles. It wasn't very linear. It was all over the place. Then we read about the woman with the issue of blood, recorded in all three of the, three of the Gospels, all three. There's four of them. But in three of them, he records it. It says, he simply, the lady simply fought to touch Jesus' cloak, and all of a sudden, Jesus turned around and says, hang on, this power's gone out of me. He says, you're healed. Amazing. And it says it was her faith. He says, because of your faith, you're healed. Again, four different responses. Jesus was incredible. I don't always know the plan, but I... I do know the man. I don't always know the plan. I don't need to know the plan, but I know the man. Maybe you don't feel like you're able to birth something. Maybe you don't feel like that, 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 that void that you have in your own life is too big to fill. Somehow it's undermined by the void that's kind of evident in your own life. And you feel like, yeah, but Jake, it's fine for you or it's fine for somebody else. But you don't know what I've gone through. You don't know where I've been. Somehow you've been maybe disqualified and you're feeling like, I'm not qualified to do those things. What would I say? What would I do? Maybe you're haunted by the decisions in your past and you realize, and, and the devil keeps flashing them back to you and he's saying to you, you're a bad person, you've done this stuff and you're condemned. But then we know that none of us are condemned. We know that God convicts us, he never condemns us. And so we're kind of in this place where there's this void and God's called us to fill it. He's called us to use the gifts that we have that he's given us to fill this void for other people. Let me introduce you to this concept. I did five years of Japanese in high school. Five years of Japanese. Five years I'm never getting back. And I can say my name and a few other things. I can remember most of my hiragana and katakana and a few kanji. And anyway, I studied Japanese and, 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 and we were taught about this concept of, of, of kintsugi. Kintsugi. And kintsugi is the Japanese art of repairing broken pottery by mending 
the breakage, they, they would use this lacquer and they would, they would uh, add to this lacquer either gold dust or silver or platinum. And so you might, uh, it was talked about in the 15th century, this famous shogun uh, broke, a, broke a famous bit of pottery and he sent it to China to get fixed. And it came back and they sort of crudely fixed it with these staples. And he wasn't really happy with what he saw. And he thought, I can do better than that. And then he fixed it with this gold lacquer. And probably on your screen now, you might see an image of this kind of pottery. And it's so beautiful because you can see the pottery and then you can see it's kind of laced with, with gold kind of strips that are jagged and rugged. And the cool thing about this kintsugi is, is, that, is that the value of this pottery was far more significant after it was broken than even before. It was far more significant. See, maybe for, maybe for you, God wants to use all the cracks, all the insecurities, all the pain that you've gone through, all the suffering. Maybe He just wants to use it and, and make something beautiful from it. Maybe that's our kind of creative God. You're thinking, I've got all these voids, I've got all these errors. How am I going to help somebody else? I can't even help myself. And God says, no, but I can use it to make something beautiful. I can bring beauty from ashes, from stuff that was dead. I can make it amazing. That's how creative our God is. Why? Because He creates us anew in Christ Jesus. Why? To go and do good stuff. To go and make a difference in our sphere of influence in the world. The problem with us in our world is that when we use stuff and we break it, straight away we chuck it away. I've got two little cuts on my finger from a cup that broke in my house just this week. One broke as I was holding it. You know, you hold those mugs and the, the handle just comes off. And I cut my finger. It's quite deep. And, uh, and then as I literally threw it in the bin, I cut myself again. I'm an idiot. I know, but that's what happened. But again, when we break things in our world, we just discard it. We chuck it away. Why? Because it has no value anymore. Maybe that's some of our linear thinking. Well, if it's broken, A, then of course, B is the result. It's unusable. But God never thinks like that. How cool is He? God said, I can use that. Those voids, I can use the, the emptiness that you feel in your life. I can fill it. In fact, I'm the only one that can. The cracks and the imperfections in this kintsugi bowl actually make them more noticeable. They stand out even more. How cool would it be even throughout this series when we realize, actually, I'm not perfect. I got a whole bunch of stuff I'm working through. But man, if I can use my journey, if I can use my perfect imperfections, give you all, if I can use all of those and, and, and put them out there on display to say, hey, everybody, hey, world, I love Jesus. I'm not perfect. I've made a whole bunch of mistakes in my life. There's a whole bunch of emptiness that I had and Jesus filled it. Now I can live this life of overflow. Now I can help other people. Now I can use all these imperfections. In fact, I'm going to put them on display for you. How brave would that be? How creative would that be to use those things when the world says, hide that stuff away. Put on your best face on social media. What if we put on our worst face? What if we just ruffled our hair a little bit? What if we were able to do that and have the confidence to do that? For some of you, you still feel like, well, again, that's fine for those people. That's fine for those people, but I could never fill the void like God to tell that to Gideon. From the weakest tribe of Manasseh, the least in his family with 300 men defeats a Midianite army 
of somewhere between, most scholars will say, 120 to 150,000 people with 300 men. That's what God can do. Tell that to Esther, who starts off as little more than a slave girl in a foreign land, ends up saving a whole nation from genocide. Tell that to Israel's greatest ever King David, who was little more than an afterthought in his dad's eyes when, he, when Samuel says to him, I'm going to anoint one of your sons, and he only gets six of them. How would you feel? He says, is there anybody else? Oh yeah, there's, there's David, but <laughs> surely you don't want David. Some of us feel like David. Oh, we, we're nowhere to be seen. God's saying tonight, I see you. I see you. Tell that to Moses, who by his own account couldn't communicate and leads millions of people out of slavery. Tell that to Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute who finds herself in the, lineal, the, the gene, genealogy of Jesus. How does that mess with your inherent bias? Tell that to, to, to Naomi, who has the faith to leave her country behind and follow a God that she has no relationship with. Finds love and security where there was no hope for her family. Tell that to Paul, the murder of Jews. Tell that to Peter, the uneducated teenage fisherman. Tell that to Matthew, the tax collector, Simon, the zealot. None of these people were qualified. And yet Jesus fulfilled the very longing that they had in their heart to make a difference in their world. I'm telling that to you if you're listening. Because you're important to God. You care. You, you, you care to God and you matter to Him. Maybe we've got to stop seeing the world through a lens of despair and hopelessness. Maybe we've got to see the world through a lens and the filter of Jesus and the cross. It's not old-fashioned to say that. The cross of Calvary. In the cross, in the cross. The cross of Calvary is powerful. The cross of Calvary changed everything for you and me. This is not about our personality, whether we think one way, we think a whole bunch of different ways. But I'm trying to give you a perspective tonight to think about, actually, if we just trust in Jesus and are obedient to what He says, then we'll live the most creative life. We'll unlock the most amazing things in our world. I love what Frodo said in Lord of the Rings. He says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. The weight of carrying the ring, the burden of His whole people and one little hobbit. And then Gandalf says to him, so do I. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide, he says. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. All we have to do is decide what we do with the time given to us. I love Psalm 131.1. I don't, in the second half, it says, I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. I can't concern myself with those things but I do concern myself with Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. He has changed my life forever and I know He can change yours. Let me finish with this story. Just this week, there was a void created in our family. I lost my grandmother. My grandmother was 96 years old. She was from Birmingham in the middle of England. Real super like working class family. Was in the war in Italy and Lived an amazing life, moved to New Zealand in 1958. Had an abusive husband. Her first husband was an abusive husband and just a kind of a real tragic story. She really fought all of the days of her life. And this week down in Wanaka, she's down in Wanaka. She passed away at 96 years old. She was real special to me. And I really loved her. And it was really significant for our family. And of course, we can't go there at the moment funeral arrangements are going to have to wait and that kind of thing but there was a void that was created and it was pretty tragic for us and 
I felt to write a little eulogy sort of online just to kind of, maybe it was a therapeutic thing for me to do. Just to write a bit about her life and tell people this is the story of my grandmother. And I did that, but if you, if you kind of know my heart and if you know what I'm looking for, there was, there was a glaring omission in that. Because what I wasn't able to do was I wasn't able to talk about her salvation. I wasn't able to talk about her being a, a great woman of faith. I wasn't able to talk about a, a legacy in my family line of generation upon generation upon generation of Jesus followers. So I was able to celebrate the life that she had on one hand, but also there's the tension of recognizing that I don't know what went through her mind and her spirit in her last days. I'm encouraged by the thief on the cross because I know that even in those final moments, my prayer, and I, and I, I spoke to you about Jesus in the past and I prayed for her. And I don't know what happened, but I know there was a void created that day. But it, it either renders me to the point where I go, well, what's the point, God? What's the point? Why do I keep doing this? How many times have I prayed for my family? How many times have I kept believing and still nothing happens? Or it galvanizes my faith and it caused me to fight even greater. It caused me to continue to believe in a God that's doing something even when I can't see it. And maybe for you, you can't see it. I'm 45 years old now. There's a whole bunch of things I haven't seen. But I can look back upon my life with Jesus and I go, man, I couldn't do it without Him. He's done so much in my life and the life of my family. And He can do so much in your life. See, how does God still birth something in death? God still uses it. He still does something. I believe He'll still create an opportunity for me to talk to my family about Jesus. I can see it. I can see the service we're going to run. I've seen it in my head. I'm going to lead it and I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray for my whole family. And I can see them asking me the kind of questions that people need to be asking. You see, there's a void in people's lives. There's a vacuum there. Only Jesus can fill. And friend, listen, as we close, and maybe this has stirred something in you. I pray it has. I pray that through this kind of medium tonight, you've been able to somehow connect your life with Jesus. Maybe you've, you know about Him. Maybe you've heard about Him. Maybe your friends ask you to come online. Maybe you're clicking through from somebody's link and you don't know where you found yourself and there's this guy with big shaggy hair talking to you about Jesus. That's cool. Welcome. But what we're going to do now is we're going to pray. And listen, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, if you've never asked Him to come in and fill you from the inside out, I want to pray a prayer with you as we close our service. It's a prayer of faith. It simply means that it doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what you've done, but Jesus is the only one that can fulfill the void, the gap, the emptiness that you're feeling in your life right now. He can give you purpose. He can give you hope. He can give you a future, friend. But how about you pray with me? Come on, if you want to give your heart to Jesus, let's all pray this together. Dear God, today I open up the door of my heart and give my life to you. I thank you, Jesus, that you died for me so that I might have life and have it to the full. And today, God, I accept your free gift of salvation. I thank you, Lord God, that you love me, that you send your son Jesus to die in my place so that I might have life. I recognize it's not through what I can do. I realize it's not through how I can continue to do stuff to somehow gain salvation. But tonight, God, I thank You that it's a free gift and I accept it into my heart as Lord and Saviour. 
Thank You for washing me clean of my sin. Thank You that in You, behold, Your Word says I'm now a new creation, a masterpiece created in You to do good things. And so tonight I thank You that I'm now a child of the King. In Jesus' Name I pray. Come on, and everybody said, Amen.